This episode of Soundproofist is part two of a conversation with Dr. Antonella Radici. She's an architect, a scientist, an activist, and a soundscape urbanist. She developed an app to map quiet urban spaces, which is called Hush City. We discussed this app in episode four. Antonella also wrote A Pocket Guide to Sound Walks, which you can download from her website at opensourcesoundscapes.org. A sound walk can have different purposes, which we'll discuss in this interview. To me, sound walks seem like a good way to observe, experience, and quantify the acoustics in an urban area. I wanted to get the low down. Just what exactly are sound walks? And what do you actually do on a sound walk? And how do you organize one? Let's hear what she had to say. I have some questions about uh, the different types of, of sound walks. And you had uh, three main categories. One was civic and political. Another is educational. And the mm-hmm. third category was for research. And mm-hmm. I know you do a lot of sound walks. I was wondering what type of sound walk of those three types I just listed is the type that you do the most and why? Thank you for the question. Uh, If I may, I want just to uh, quickly mention why I wrote the Pocket Guide to Sound Walking um, and why I envisioned, I defined these four variations framework. The method of sound walking was born uh, in the 60s of the past century and uh, mainly a sound walk could be um, could be any excursion whose main purpose is to listen to the environment. And okay. of course, since then, uh, many methods have been developed so far to, to perform sound walks. You can really find out many creative ways to conduct sound walks. But uh, as you know, I'm firstly, I'm an architect and urban designer. So when uh, I decided to narrow my research to that one, uh, to the field of soundscape studies, and when I decided to uh, use the method sound walking uh, and apply it to urban design and planning, I thought, okay, we need to create a framework to help uh, myself and my colleagues to use these methods. So what I did, I thought, okay, we I can identify three main uh, purposes and then I can identify respective ways to implement sound walks. So, but of course, this framework could be, I mean, as every framework is a bit, you know, rigid. Uh, and what I want to say is that you can always mix things up. It's a framework useful to me to also communicate and explain uh, the kind of sound walks I do the most. So, for disseminating the method, for instance, so to uh, increase sonic awareness of listening and uh, to increase awareness on the importance to living of living in healthy sonic environment, I mostly do silent sound walks. When I'm asked to train for soundscape action research, for instance, I do mostly commented sound walks with uh, simple evaluation points. And when I do or I'm asked to apply the method for research purposes, so for uh, developing a deep evaluation of the soundscapes of certain areas under investigation, I do either solo sound walks or uh, sound walks with complex evaluation points. 
So no matter what uh, kind of sound walks I do, I always define, predefine a route before the sound walk. So upon the activity, I, I always um, explore the area. And so basically I do a solo sound walk to identify, to explore the area, identify the main uh, listening points. Then uh, if we uh, go for a silent sound walk, we walk uh, in a line, possibly in silence, on, on the predefined route, and then we uh, stop to each of the listening points, we focus on listening to the environment, and then we move on to the next one until the end of the sound walk, where we have a group discussion. On the other hand, uh, when I do sound walks for educational and research purposes, uh, I still pre-identify a route with several listening points, but at each of the listening points, after having listened to the sonic environment, we perform data collection. End of the sound walk, we do a group discussion. So I've, uh, just to sum up, the, the, how I lead a sound walk is always by giving an introduction uh, at, at the beginning of the activity, then we start uh, and we walk through the predefined route. We stop at each of the listening points pre-identified. Pre we listen to the sonic environment and then eventually we collect mixed data. Then at the end of the sound walk, of every sound walk, we have a group discussion to talk further on the overall experience and on the data collection we performed. When you said that you uh, have sometimes people walking in a line, does that sort of prevent people from talking and just sort of, you know, keeping people sort of in a very quiet and solitary state? It seems like if you all walk together, you might be tempted to talk to each other and that might defeat the purpose of a sound walk. Oh, correct. On one hand, um, walking in a line, it helps to focus on the activity, to stay focused and to listen to the environment. And it also helps you to not be disturbed too much by the sounds made by the others during the sound walk. Because if you uh, walk uh, next to each other, you might listen first to the sounds made by your friend or by the other participant in the sound walk. And you might lose some other relevant sounds of the environment. Um, I also have noticed sometimes there's a, an announcement, you know, on social media that a sound walk is happening. So what is the typical group size of uh, you know participants when you have a sound walk the ideal size it could vary of course I'm, I'm just reporting my personal experience I usually fix a threshold up to 20-25 participants but based on my experience I could say that the size of the group does not correlate to the quality, for instance, of the group discussion that takes place at the end. For instance, I uh, might have some sound walks with, with few participants. We uh, were very much engaged uh, in the activity and who were uh, very responsive to the, to the impulses they received during the sound walk. 
or on the other hand, I might have sound walks with bigger group of participants that were in the end not so much engaged, for example, in the group discussion, but also it happened the opposite. I had uh, sound walks with uh, big groups, which uh, where all the participants were pretty much engaged. So we had <laughs> very interesting and super big group discussions, which took really, uh, which lasted for, for hours. The sides of the of the group does not relate, in my experience, with the quality of the feedback you receive or of the overall experience. And you'd said in some cases these are not necessarily for research, but for experience. And I was wondering if do you at all encourage people on the Sound Walks to use the Hush City app to post yeah, and collect we, data? We, yeah, we also do sound walks uh, and we use where we use the Hush City app to collect data. Uh, we did it, for instance, in Rotterdam at the beginning of September. Uh, we did it still in September when we did a sound walk for the Berlin municipality within the framework of the next Berlin noise action plan. Um, yes, of course, it's possible to use it. What I would like to recommend is when you use the app, uh, within the context of a sound walk, it's always important to stay in silence uh, while you use the app, because of course you, uh, the the first data collection you will be asked to implement is audio recording. If you forget about it, you might uh, end you recording yourself talking or other participants talking. So just be careful when you record the sounds by using the app. And what other tools might you use? Do you actually ever bring like professional recording equipment, microphones, uh, any other kind of uh, digital meter of any kind? Yes, of course. And at the moment, I am I'm pretty excited about the great advantage um, given by uh, using the Hush City app because the data col the, the data sets collecting with the app are in real time linked to the public map. Uh, if you uh, do uh, the sound walks and you use the Hush City app, at the end of the sound walk, during the group discussion, you can review the data collected by you and by the others. And so you can, the group discussion can be, uh, you know, uh, uh, expanded by, by using the data uh, just collected. And this is pretty exciting. But of course, I uh, had, have always used other uh, tools, for example, noise meters to um, collect noise measurements. I also had the privilege to collect um, binaural recordings uh, by using the Scubolt, which is a very sophisticated uh, tool, um, which was borrowed to me by the Hedganwit Foundation, which, uh, which is currently supporting my research project. And uh, through binaural recordings, you can get uh, information and data related to the way people uh, really listen to the sonic environment in that place at, at, at a certain time. Because basically, the, when you do binaural recordings, the, the recorders are placed on your ears. On your ears, you are recording exactly what you are hearing. Okay. This is a very interesting uh, tool uh, to implement. Then, uh, when we don't use the uh, Hostility app, I handle out the participants' questionnaires. They can fill out other listening points during the sound walk. 
Sometimes when we when I do more creative sound walks, at the end of the sound walk, before the group discussion, I ask the participants to design mental sound maps of the sound walks uh, of the sound walk we had, and they can also, of course, write down notes or kind of uh, sonic diaries of the experience we had. And so a mental sound map might be, is that sort of spatial in terms of like it was quieter here, but over here by this tree, it was a little more noisy, that sort of thing? Um, It's really free. So people, Mm. if I have a look at all the uh, mental sound maps designed by uh, the participants of the sound walks I did, I can really see a huge variation in in sonic data, in the representation of the the experience of the sound walk. So you, you might find someone that just tries to represent the, the rules of the sound walk and it might, uh, you might find words describing the sounds or you might find uh, drawings to uh, represent the sounds heard during the sound walk, but also uh, someone uh, could express, they could uh, represent their sonic experience through more abstract diagrams kind of, you know, mu- musical notation. So again, huge variety. And yeah. this is only because of um, the richness uh, that people can share. Wow. It sounds like you're getting a lot of very interesting data and from a lot of different cities too, like as you mentioned, Rotterdam and Berlin. And I assume you're from Italy. Have you been also doing sound walks in Italy as well? Yes, uh, we will have a, another sound walk in Madrid at the end of November. And uh, I won't take the opportunity of this uh, conversation we have now to thank all the participants, both in the sound walks and in the Hush City project. Because without the participation of people, all these projects could have, could have not be happened. So it's only because of the curiosity of the uh, civic uh, activism of people, uh, their generosity, that we could do all this research and also somehow political actions. Yes, I agree. I think it's wonderful, and I hope I can help to get more people involved. Yeah, first of all, a big thank to the participants in the past, present, and future. Is there anything else you want to share with us about your work or about being active in a soundscape activity before we close? Because I know you need to go soon. Uh, Yes, I want to share um, the political purpose um, of all the research and work I do, which is very important to me. We talked about what is quietness for people and uh, we we talked that this is the core question of my research. So rather than defining what is what quietness is, I came up with a political definition of quietness as a urban commons, as a, a public, cultural, natural resource that should be accessible to everyone in our society. And that should be co-managed by the community where uh, the quiet areas are. And so it's not a matter of, you know, uh, research is not a matter of uh, statics, but it's really a matter of 
considering quietness and a good sonic environment and urban commons. Uh, this is not a trivial challenge because some studies unfortunately show that Minority communities usually live in neighborhoods affected by high levels of noise pollution. So in, in, in my uh, research on quiet areas and uh, in, in my search for uh, finding a way to protect quiet areas in parallel, I'm trying to raise awareness on the importance of having the quiet areas accessible to everyone and not only to uh, wealthy people. Absolutely. I agree. And it, there is definitely an economic component, as you say, to uh, living in a noisy area versus not noisy. Well, I really want to thank you for your time today. And, it was uh, great. Thank you for having me here. Sure. And thank you so much for developing all these tools and processes for us to collect this data and participate in civic research. Uh, even if we don't have a background in science, we can still be a part of this. So, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh, people are the real experts of the places they live and work. And this is very, very uh, important. And we need to remind this to, our, to the people who manage our cities. I'd like to thank Dr. Antonella Radici for sharing her knowledge with us. And I'd like to encourage all of you to participate in citizen science by using the Hush City app to record quiet spaces in your city. And also to download a pocket guide to sound walks. Think about leading a sound walk of your own or joining someone else's. To get more information, go to opensourcesoundscapes.org or you can also follow Antonella and her projects on Twitter. If you have questions on acoustics or noise or soundproofing or policy, just drop me a line at noise at soundproofist.com. And thanks for listening.